Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there. Thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm really excited to be joined by Anna Brailsford, uh, who is the Chief Executive of Code First Girls. Anna, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for having me, Toby. So, Anna, um, can you just let us know a bit about your career background and and what really led you to creating um, Code First Girls? So, when I was growing up, I, I didn't really want to be in tech. In fact, I'm not sure I really thought about it much outside of computer games, which I actually was really, really interested in. That makes me sound like a, a real tomboy, but I had an older brother and anything he was interested in, you know, I tended to become interested in. And yeah, I remember sort of first computers. I had a Commodore 64, uh, which was, uh, I think it was it was Paperboy. And then after Commodore 64, I had an Amiga, which back then was like groundbreaking in terms of the computer. Um, my parents always bought this, incidentally, for my brother. Uh, and then I ended up using it. Uh, and then I ended up, I think, the last one I had was something like a Sega Mega Drive. So I always actually really liked computers and I always liked games, but I never necessarily perceived myself in tech. I don't think I really understood what it, what it meant. And I have to say that's something that's quite common if you listen to a lot of stories uh, from women that have ended up in technology. I think as a child, they didn't necessarily understand what it was and I think what that demonstrates really is is a need to um, inspire uh, girls and 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 young people around what technology means and how important it is for our future because it's all around us. We we can't avoid it now. It, it is the way of the future. And I have a ten year old niece, and I kind of put myself back in back in her shoes when I was ten. Yeah, and she she's learning to code at school. It's it's I think very very different now to how it used to be. Uh, but certainly, I didn't perceive myself in tech. I think I wanted to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> yeah. uh, too much Top Gun, and yeah, I ended up in my uh, family's business actually, which was uh, my mum was the CEO, um, so I had a very kind of strong business background. Um, and that's where I learned to cut my teeth in business and also sort of learn from strong female role models. Again, had, I don't say it had nothing to do with tech. It was a, a kind of ed, ed tech business. So a lot of it was around education. So education sort of runs in my family. Uh, and, I, and I used to do that when I used to come home um, from university um, in my summers. I, I used to basically help out with, the, with uh, my mum's business. Yeah. And then when I joined the real world and, and, and sort of finished university, and by the way, I didn't finish, I didn't study a STEM subject. I didn't study a techie subject and study computer science. I was completely artsy. I studied uh, literature and history, also loved politics, yeah. um, but not the traditional background that you would place uh, within, within tech. And I ended up joining um, educational consultancies and ed tech companies. And it was through that that by the age, I think I was 26, I uh, was headhunted for a role uh, at lynda.com to be one of their directors. And that went on to be the first ed tech unicorn in the entire world in terms of its uh, valuation. 
So we were valued at 1.5 billion, got bought by LinkedIn. I went over to LinkedIn and then I've had sort of various plays since then. And it's brought me to Code First Girls. So I suppose what I'm saying that very long explanation is that I never intended to end up in tech, but there's many, many routes in. And I ended up in tech through educational technologies. And yeah, I, I do not have a coding background. But there is still room, I think, and it's very important to kind of highlight it's not just about coding, it's not just about those technical skills, uh, but it's also about, um, you know, creating future female leaders in the technology space as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, there's so many routes into technology and so many roles as well, because before I set up my own diversity and inclusion consultancy, I worked in technology, but... I was never a techie, um, far <laughs> from it. Um, I couldn't string a bit of code together to save my life. So I was a yeah project manager and worked in, in user experience and design. And it takes a whole team effort to to create a piece of tech. So well, I was I I was uh, included on this list recently. There's a lot of lists around women in technology. Uh, I don't know how they they put these lists together. I actually really don't know. It's it's a bit of a mystery to me. But I was included on this list recently for like top thirty uh, product managers, female product managers in Europe. I sort of looked at it and I was like, do I really do I really um, deserve that place on that list? Like, you know, what is product? And I don't sit there and like code product. I have created products in the past. I've created like different apps. And of course, I've created a lot of the products at Code First Girls. Um, but I was sort of sitting there thinking, you know, a product manager should be, in my opinion, someone that's like sort of creating the next fantastic bit of consumer software or, you know, the next uh, greatest platform. I, I honestly looked at that list and thought, do I actually deserve that position on that list? And then I thought, well, maybe they're trying to widen the horizons a little bit about, around what for example, product management means uh, within the technology scene. And it can mean more than simply sort of coding or, 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 or UX. Um, can it mean something more than that? Can it mean potentially building a business model around the product that actually enables other people into technology? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Anna, what is um, Code First Girls and, and how have you grown since, since it was first established? So Code First Girls is one of the largest communities of uh, female coders and technologists in the UK. Um, we recently hit a milestone of teaching 20,000 women how to code. Uh, just to put that into perspective for you, that is at the moment three times um, the level of the entire UK education system combined. Wow. <laughs> in terms of the number of women that, that we're actually training. Um, but there's many different women in our community. They're not just looking to become coders. Uh, a lot of women in our community are looking at sort of wider technology roles and inspiration as well that might not involve code. But in essence, what we're trying to do is to give women the, the skills and also the inspiration and the confidence, because that's really, really important in this space when there's hardly any you know, female role models. Uh, we're, we're trying to give them that inspiration, confidence and skill uh, to basically join the industry. So we've sort of mapped out what is required uh, and what skills are required and, and how we get women into, into jobs. And then we partner with organizations to actually get these women into roles. 
Um, we have a sort of line of sight of where the roles are available. There are hardly you know, any women in these spaces, particularly around software and, and data science. Uh, and then we work with those companies to basically invest in the women's education so that we can start filling very, very difficult roles for the future. Brilliant. I mean, it is, it is a challenging sector because this is how I started out in diversity and inclusion. I was working as a project manager in the BBC's technology department, and I was working with our chief operating officer. And he was concerned with the rest of the leadership team that within technology, we had a, a significant gender imbalance. So I think back then it was like 14% of the technology department was you know, made up of women. Um, and the rest of the BBC was about 50-50 male, female. So the department was, you know, really behind compared to other parts of mm-hmm. the of the broadcaster. So I worked with the team to create our gender balance action plan. And that's how I started out working in this field. But, you know, from, from the work that you do, why are we seeing this this gender balance problem within within the science and technology and engineering sectors? I think I think there's several threads uh, to, to this answer. I could probably uh, talk today about it, um, but predominantly, what we see is f- few women studying computer science. So around about nineteen percent of um, computer science uh, students are women, and then we see the figure in organizations is around about 17% of women occupying technology roles. So we're seeing kind of structural, alarming statistical um, evidence coming through from the higher education system. And then I don't think it's any surprise that we then start seeing that in organizations. I also think that we have somewhat of an issue in this country uh, with saying, once you start on a certain path, that's kind of it for you. You know, like you, you, it's almost mm-hmm. like you have to start picking certain subjects from a, from a certain point in life. Otherwise, careers are barred to you. And I think that's a, that's a bit of a dangerous attitude because the whole premise of Code First Girls were based on um, 50 university campuses in the UK and about 40 centers outside of universities. And we actively either supplement uh, education at university or we open the doors to women regardless of their degree disciplines or regardless of their educational backgrounds. So what that means, for example, is say you've got a humanities student, they can learn how to code and they can become a coder and go into technology. They don't have to do a computer science degree. So I think this sense of barrier, we create these barriers along the way for women to to actually move in. And we have to show them that there's other ways and that just because you've gone down one path, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not capable of moving into technology. We just have to enable that. That's something I can really relate to, actually, because my, my friend that I went to university with, we, we both studied marketing together. She, up until now, she spent all of her career working in marketing. And uh, in the last couple of months, she's been to a kind of um, a coding boot camp. Uh, and now she, she's, she's switched careers. She's, she's now working as a technologist within a kind of workplace automation AI software company. So, yeah, she's, she's done the, the career switch. I think it's true. Yeah, we have this kind of idea that we, when we leave university, we're on some sort of fixed, um, you know, career path after that. But it's, you know, we can take all sorts of twists and turns. 
I think that this career switcher element is really, really important. So um, particularly with with COVID-19, what we're seeing is huge numbers of women that have been displaced by this crisis. Mm. And this sense of being able to career switch and providing them with the, you know, with the boot camps, with, we call it nano degree. Um, so we provide them with um, the education that we know they require in order to become a software engineer or a data scientist. And all for free. We do it all for free, incidentally. I mean, mm. providing that for, for example, women that have been displaced, whose industry might have been completely ruined by, by what's happening at the moment, is actually, it, this, is, this, is, this is less of a kind of a personal journey and it's becoming more of a kind of economic imperative, I think, for this country to get back on its feet. Yeah, definitely. I love it. I love it. And so what are some of the most important skills that you think people need to get, you know, to get into the, the tech industry? So perhaps it is somebody who's just left university that's thinking of their first role, or maybe it is somebody who is looking to do a career change, whether that's just because they fancy a change or perhaps it's because they have been displaced because of the pandemic lately. But what what are those skills? So increasingly, we are seeing two, two skills emerging that are becoming very, very important as a baseline to the majority of jobs that we're seeing uh, and the majority of jobs that are open, particularly with larger organizations, I think it's slightly different when you look at smaller organizations. So with larger organizations, what we're noticing is um, Python uh, and SQL. So Python typically for software engineering and SQL uh, if you want to go into data. But in all honesty, if you want to be proficient uh, in tech, so our nano degrees cover both areas in quite a level of detail. What we find with, uh, if you're joining a kind of a smaller company, it tends to be the more full stack um, or maybe front end work, which is which is maybe slightly different in terms of its approach. So particularly with the larger enterprises, I definitely think that Python and SQL are emerging as our two most in-demand skills at the moment um, that, that anybody at university should should check out or leaving university or anybody that's been affected by this crisis, uh, it's Python and SQL you should be checking out. Cool. And there are there some kind of softer skills. Um, so what I was thinking of is, um, so when I was working at the BBC, we were looking at how we can uh, recruit a wider pool of people to come into technology. And you know, the, the hiring manager was thinking of hard skills like you know, how good is somebody at Java for example. Mm-hmm. But when we unpicked it a bit, we realized that actually we wanted to recruit people who were able to learn really quickly because mm-hmm. technology develops at such a fast pace. And also people move between products as well. So we need people to be agile and nimble. And and actually we started testing for those kind of softer things. So somebody's ability to to pick up a new piece of technology really quickly and hit the ground running but you know are there any kind of other skills like that that you think are particularly important i think you've picked up on something that we see time and time again with our clients is what what they're really after is a mindset as opposed Mm. to obviously a technical baseline is important however with what what code first girls are trying to do with their 12-week nano degree program for example they're trying to teach the most in-demand uh, basics and skills that you can then use 
to learn different languages. If you compare that to like a computer science degree, which is three years along with a lot of uh, theory, for example, many people could argue that what we're actually trying to train is is people's almost like ability to to think more quickly and to adapt to different situations because you're right it changes at the speed of light so therefore what we're trying to create here is a mindset and an approach and they're never going to stop learning if you go into tech and if you do become a software developer or a data scientist you never stop learning it's it's a continuous process of iteration so i think that's super important but also um more and more, uh, you know, ability to communicate, uh, ability to, to, to work in a team. It may sound really, really basic, but you could be the best developer in the world. But if you can't communicate and if you can't work in a team, you're not going to go down very well. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. What we're noticing with the kind of the, 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 the rise, the meteoric rise of these technical skills is that unless we we meet that in equal measure with kind of communication skills and kind of building women's confidence, um, it, it's not as successful. When we bring those skills together, you know, it's a, it's far more successful in terms of the career outlook. Brilliant. And um, what's what's in store for Code First Girls in the future? Because so far you've been hugely successful. Like, you know, you, j- just by the numbers, you've 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 trained a huge number of people are making a big impact, but where, where's the organization going? So we, we had during COVID, we saw an 800% increase uh, in demand for what we do from women, which is just, it's just unprecedented. So we have waiting lists of women at the moment that want to be trained. So it, even meeting that demand, we are trying to give a, give away as much high quality educational provision as we can, but we're trying to match that as well with the amount of um, job opportunities and placement opportunities that we can offer. We don't want to just simply train women. We want to then give them the next tangible step into, okay, this is what you can do now to, to start, you know, uh, increasing your economic opportunities. So we are attempting to double our existing community in a single year. And from our uh, maths, given the the amount of demand, um, we think we can do that, especially with 100% sort of virtual training provision that we now have. So we're set to be hopefully 40,000 by the end of 2021. (laughs) We don't like doing things by half. And increasingly, you know, our internal KPIs are about the extent to which we can get women into work and we can um, get women into those very, very uh, direct career paths. And that is a lot about our industry partners as well. So the extent to which our industry partners want to make it happen. And really what we're seeing is education and industry moving closer and closer together through an organization like Code First Girls. Brilliant. Um- so this, of course, is the Inclusive Growth Show, um, and I'm interested in hearing what you think in- inclusive growth means, uh, particularly from your perspective, uh, in terms of you know developing that technology skill set and the, the partners that you work with and the impact that you're making on industry. So I always compare this to, you know, for example, when we're working with organisations, they can have they can have their diversity stats, 
right? The diversity stats are one thing, but to what extent, for example, have women been involved in the, or women been included in the actual creation and formulation, for example, of products? That would be, for me, two, two sort of different angles that you have to look at. You might have great diversity stats, but to what extent are they actually influencing the products that, that people are consuming and um, your business model? Um, because for me, that's when you sort of get to the kind of the, the, the magic level where there's going to be tangible difference and tangible impact. And you move from kind of ticking boxes towards actually thinking about you know, creating products and creating businesses that actually represent society and that are building things for the future instead of just talking about it and instead of just, you know, um, talking about it on LinkedIn with, with like with, with big figures and things like that. It's far more than that. It's, it's more about the implementation of it and the social impact of it. And we will see that. I, I strongly believe you will see it in the type of products that are being created uh, you'll see it in the type of cultures that are created as, as a result in businesses. Um, you know, and, and hopefully we should see some fantastic innovations. Um, I'll give you an example of a group of women that uh, went through um, one of our training programs, um, I think it was about six months ago now. Uh, at the end of the program, uh, all the women um, create products or, or create innovations that might not exist in the current market. Mm. And the, the women created an algorithm to help predict breast cancer. Now, that's a real example of inclusivity in action when it comes to products and actually a product that will have a social impact um, on, on groups of people that, can, uh, that are arguably marginalized. Yeah. So when you start seeing things like that, you start seeing um, that, those types of impacts, that's when you know you're starting to make a difference in terms of inclusivity in technology. Definitely. I think one of my favorite films around diversity and inclusion is uh, Gender Decoded. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. it. It's, um, it, wow. it's on YouTube. It's brilliant. It's kind of like a, well, it is a documentary um, that talks about how historically over time, the tech industry has become a very male-dominated uh, industry. But one of the stories I always remember was about how um, disproportionately women were injured by airbags when they were first created in the 60s. And it was because Mm -hmm. it was created by uh, an all-male engineering team. So it was developed with the male frame and body in mind and how men sit in a car rather than how women sit in a car. So women Mm -hmm. were disproportionately uh, injured by airbags, which is bizarre because airbags are supposed to protect you um but it it just goes to show how you have to be inclusive when you're developing products a hundred percent and i think i would say the same same argument uh goes for data as well we're seeing that more and more that you know all these algorithms that are being created and um you know a lot of technology it's it's only as good as the data sets that sit behind it and if those data sets aren't inclusive you're effectively you're creating a little bit of a foregone conclusion it's less of an algorithm and more more something you know just you know you and i could probably predict and 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 take a gamble on so i agree that both with data 
and the creation of product, uh, we are creating, if we create very narrow data sets in the same way, if we, if we have a very narrow group of people looking at a particular problem, you will create a product that can really only be used on a very narrow group of people or will have very narrow, narrow conclusions. Cool. Um, before you go, Anna, uh, if the person listening to our conversation today wants to learn more about Code First Girls and get involved in your community, how do they do that? So uh, please visit our website, uh, codefirstgirls.org.uk. Also check us out on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, all the social channels. There are many layers of education that you can get involved in regardless of your age. Um, So for example, our mass open online courses are open to women and uh, non-binary people uh, of of any age group. Um, And we basically help uh, help you to code through social media through live instruction. So within an hour to 90 minutes, you can learn about a new language and pick up a skill and code something completely new. Uh, From there, you can then decide whether you want to go to the next stage uh, and actually do a a certification with us. Again, for certain age groups with our certifications, they're completely subsidized, completely free. For other age groups, they uh, are typically, um, you know, at at a... at a, a subsidized rate, but you can basically work through the different layers of education um, and ultimately, hopefully, build build your career in software or, or data science. Excellent. Yeah, sounds brilliant. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, I'm going to go and have a look around myself. So uh, thanks for that. Um, Anna, thank you for, for joining me on this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I've really enjoyed um, talking with you today. Um, and thank you for listening to uh, my conversation with Anna today. Um, hopefully, hopefully you found it interesting. And um, if you are interested in um, the work that Anna and her team does, then please do go out, uh, go over to the uh, the Code First Girls website. Until then, um, thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Show, which will be coming up shortly. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.